Alright, Brewer fans, welcome to the Beer District Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joined with co-host Josh Waldock. I do some writing for Wisconsin Sports Heroics, and we both are contributors at Reviewing the Brew. So we've officially made it, Josh. It is Craig Tember. It is that time of the year. It's September 2nd as we're recording this. We are just coming off taking three out of four against the San Francisco Giants. So really, even though the first couple games were played in August, I don't think you could have asked for a better start to September. Well, right now, as of recording, 10 games up in the division, double-digit lead with just over a month left, taking three out of four against the team with the best record in baseball. I don't think there's really much more you could ask for. I agree. Like, so I did like digging around. Craig Council's record in September over the last three years is 52-29. and 29. And it's this year's like really interesting because you mentioned the big division lead and everything. And it's just it's a year unlike the rest. We're like we don't have to chase down the Cubs. Christian Yelich is still playing. He's not like coming off a knee injury or Brandon Woodruff still sidelined with an oblique like he was in 2019. This year, it's like everyone's chasing us <laughs> and giving Craig Council's track record. Um, I think that's going to put us in success to really, you know, possibly break like some records and, and go very far. Yeah. I mean, I know the Brewers are now, well, 29 games over 500. The club record is 31 set by the 1982 crew. So that's something to watch for. You just have to win two more games than you lose at this point. If my math checks out, I don't <laughs> fully, whatever, but no, I mean, I agree. Like, I think we even saw that on, uh, Wednesday in Wednesday's game, I mean, going to Jake Cousins for kind of a higher leverage situation as opposed to Devin's, Devin Williams or Josh. Like, I think we're going to be able to see Craig Council kind of experiment a little more. I think give guys the experience in high leverage situations that you wouldn't have before. And look, yeah, I mean, you're right. The Brewers aren't relying on going 20 and nine in this month to make the playoffs. I mean, we go nine and 20, I think, still make it. Right. Yeah, I know. Like entering today, if we went fourteen and fourteen over the last twenty-eight games, we would still tie the club record of ninety-six wins uh, in the regular season. And obviously, you want to hope you can beat that because a hundred wins is a real possibility, uh, given you know how good Craig Council's been in the last couple of Septembers. But yeah, the experimentation part is cool because I think it's going to help keep our guys fresher leading up into the playoffs. Like obviously you want to be playing really good baseball leading up until October, but it's not like, like you said, we're not going to be throwing hater multiple times in a row back to back or anything like that. There's that room for experimentation, like you said. So that certainly is exciting. And like the first call-ups were Justin Topa and Dan Vogelbach with the extra roster spots. Um, so a hitter and a pitcher and Topa gave up a couple runs here in this first outing, I believe. So that was a little disappointing, I think for him there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still think, I mean, Topa, I think still has great stuff. His two seamer is just amazing. So I really think that he's going to play a key part kind of down the final stretch. And then, you know, today we did get Alec Bettinger up also after Brett Anderson went on the IL. So hopefully he'll have a little better results than when he started against the Dodgers. Yeah, everybody remembers Bettinger for that. That was terrible. What did he give up? A grand slam in that first inning? And what did he have? 11 earned runs, I think, in his debut. Uh, it, was, it was something crazy. It was not a particularly good debut, but, I mean, he's come in. He's 
I think he's had three or four scoreless in, I think three scoreless outings after that with Milwaukee. So I think that he's kind of going to be settling in. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him if they give him kind of a start or if he just is served exclusively out of the bullpen for the final month. It will be interesting because I wrote, when I wrote about this at Wisconsin Sports Rokes, he was in one of my three players who would not get called up in September category because <laughs> even in the minor leagues, he wasn't pitching all that well either. So I was like, well, just kind of chalk it up to, you know, a bad year, a learning year because he obviously made the 40-man roster, I think, due to his really good 2019 minor league season than whatever he showed at the alternative training sites. Um, but been a little bit of a bumpy road this year, but... Like you said, you get rejuvenated in September, you get hot at the right time, he certainly could find a way or carve out a role on this team. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'd like to uh, retract my previous statement. He's given up runs in every single appearance he's made, but less, no more than 11. So <laughs> No more than 11. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see him. I and mean, we have Freddie Peralta coming back. So it's very possible Bettinger is came up for two days and in case they needed an emergency bullpen or I guess a day after in case they needed an emergency bullpen arm and goes back down when Peralta gets activated. Yeah, because I think, is Freddie slated to start tomorrow on Friday, right. right, against the Cardinals? Yep, and Escobar is also due to come back on Friday. I guess two two roster spots that will have to ha- come tomorrow, so my guess is we'll see Bettinger and I really don't know who you would send down for Escobar? Well, unless they decide to send, unless they decide, well, because you can't send Vogelbach down. They're no. going to want to hold on to him, so that yeah. makes it interesting. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, unless they decide, hey, we're up ten games in division, we're gonna Avi left the game with a little discomfort. We're gonna give him ten days off, and again, just kind of punt the decision on Vogelbach down the road. Yeah, I very well could see that. They, I mean, they call it precautionary hamstring tightness for Garcia today, but. Like you said, with the division lead, and obviously we just keep gaining some and losing some players. Pena went on the IL, but I think he had no bleak, so he got Luke Maley up now. <laughs> this is never ending with this Bryant, team. I don't care what replay says. Oh my god, that was terrible. I wish that there was some transparency with the replay system. I mean, I know that we could spend hours talking about how bad it is, but just show, like, tell us what you were seeing. I don't know if they were able to sync up multiple different camera angles at the same time in New York or what, but. Just transparency in the replay system is needed. Yeah, unless they uh, can't explain themselves, which apparently seems to be the case most of the time. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a fair fair assessment of it. <laughs> yeah, cause, I mean, yeah, obviously you're talking about the finale here uh, with that call and replay there, and Devin Williams is on the mound. He's got to sit for a long period of time while they go through that replay, ends up getting his scoreless inning streak snapped at 22 outings then gives up a home run after that and that's like the first first time he's allowed runs in quite some time and that you know it all could be to that long delay really you could point it to that yeah i mean i was his first time since june giving up an earned run you know you had two outs obviously it's not best to allow runs to score with two outs especially on a long hold off like that i mean two runners on I'd imagine that does change kind of the mental approach, just get like it takes to the mound. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, all streaks have to come to an end. So I'd rather you get all the runs out of a system now than, you know, in the playoffs. <laughs> That's true. 
What did you think of uh, Eric Lauer's performance today? I did not see him going seven innings strong, three hits allowed, and the only run he gave up was that leadoff homer to begin the game. And this Giants team likes to hit home runs, so it's not like it was a, a bad offensive team he was going against. He I, That really proved himself today, I thought. Yeah, I mean, there's something about the NL West. I know I was digging into the his game logs, and he's a cute. So on the year, he's accumulated one F4. Um, he's oh, like seven tenths of that have come against his, I think, four or five starts against NL West teams. Like, he's there's something about the NL West that he just, like, I don't know if he's a West Coast guy or what, but like the West Coast time zone fits him in. But no, he, um, he looked great out there today. I thought I was kind of worried they were going to pull him after his fadeaway throw to the first, <laughs> but he came out and didn't look like had any impact on him at all. <laughs> yeah, that web gem was something else from Lauer there. I don't even know how he got enough on that throw to still get it over to first as he was fading away, like you said. That was yeah, like, I, incredible. I mean, whoever was help, like whoever instructs the pitchers on, on getting off the mound, great job. <laughs> True that. Oh, so speaking of instructions here, I'm going to put you on the spot because I believe you have a membership to The Athletic. So I don't yep. know if you had time to read through the Willie Adamas article that came in today. Um, basically, he talks, you know, the gist of it is, from what I gathered, is the Brewers helped him out a lot with his swing. But if you read that, what did you read in it? First of all, Will Salmon, great writer. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, subscribe. It's like, I think, 60 bucks a year. Definitely worth it if you have the income or the desire to. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, I think it was great. I think he did a great job of kind of breaking down the adjustments that Haynes made with Adamas. I mean, I know that it said, like the article said that one of the first things that Haynes did was talk to Adamas about when he felt the most successful in the batter's box. And they kind of broke that down and tried to emulate that in Milwaukee. And I think it's definitely worked. Clearly it is working. So <laughs> definitely some good evidence there for all the, the ND Haynes haters, because, you know, a lot of it when Willie Domus came over, like, oh, he can finally see better, which I'm sure that does play a factor into mm -hmm. it. But <laughs> um, to actually for him to, you know, go out and give credit to his coaches, I thought that was that was really cool. And uh, I don't know, I didn't get to read it, but I, I enjoyed hearing everybody talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I think and I think it's something that the three I mean, because there have kind of been three hitters who have been profiled as working extensively with Haynes in the, well, I guess two in the off season and then Adamas Narvaez and Garcia were really kind of guys who worked with the Haynes this off season and they're having career offensive years and Adamas is too. So I think I know there was an article a couple weeks ago about Haynes. I think really it's showing that, you know, the, I think it kind of just breaks into the philosophy of the Brewers even further kind of a, small adjustments as you go kind of thing. I mean, the offense is tracking in the right direction, and I think a large part of that is due to kind of the continual adjustments made by Haynes, Jacob Cruz, and the rest of the hitting staff. Yeah, those are good points. I'd be curious to see if, like, anything is going to come out in the future about Lorenzo Cain because he obviously spent most of the time on the IL this year. It felt like he had two different stints and then wasn't really healthy, but it seems like now, even when he's getting out, he's still hitting the ball really hard and he's hitting into a lot of bad luck, but he had a good stretch in the two games that he started against the giants this week, four, seven, had two homers, five RBIs. And 
I was like, geez, I wish I, he would have. I don't know why he didn't get the start today against the left-hander Webb. I, I found that really kind of confusing. But, you know, to get, you know, if they're making subtle adjustments with Lorenzo Kane to get him, you know, going and hitting the ball to the other field, getting on base in that eight spot, that would be huge for this team down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, Kane, really, I think since coming back from the from his hamstring injury, he has looked more like 2018 Kane. So that kind of makes me wonder if he was kind of dealing with sort of nagging injuries throughout 2019 and then obviously throughout this year he was. But, yeah, I mean, he definitely looks a lot better at the plate. Like, he's making much better contact. This is actually the first time he hit homers in back-to-back games since 2017. So, yeah, like you said, I mean, getting solid offensive production from Kane at the bottom of the order kind of setting the table is going to be huge going forward. Yeah, and to hit back-to-back home runs in San Francisco, and or in games anyway, is a hard thing to do. So you saw how many this series go off that right field wall that are normally out, and, oh, just the double, or even Willie Adamas one time got limited to the longest single that I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> I know um, Telez got robbed. Urias is, man, if Oracle Park was, like, two feet wider on both ends, of, either send the foul pole. I feel like Rios would have had like three home runs this series. Like he had a lot of close calls, but yeah, it's, I don't understand how Bonds was able to be. Well, there's a reason Barry Bonds was so. <laughs> yeah. Alleged. You're opening up a whole other can of worms Alleged. there. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, obviously winning three out of four against the giants is good. Um, I you know I kind of thought about it in the back of my mind after we you know after we won the series I'm like man what happens if we end up getting the number one seed the Giants are now number one in the NL West and I was like well we still trail I think the Dodgers by three games roughly somewhere in that ballpark yeah so it's possible we could catch them but I don't necessarily know if we want to <laughs> at the same time despite how good we played yeah I mean I think that kind of well. There's so much that goes into the home field advantage and who like preferred outcome. I mean, right now, essentially what you have going on is that the Reds, the Braves, and the Padres are all kind of on the r- roughly the same um, record-wise. They're all hanging in the 72 to 63 losses, so essentially equal once you factor in different games amount of games played, but. I think I'd rather still face the Braves in the division series than take a risk at running at facing the Dodgers or the Giants in the you know in the in the division series as the one seed. Um, I mean that's just me. I know that you know everyone's gonna have a different take on it, and I'm sure that that's actually I'm not sure if that's something that Council and Stearns are like the front office is kind of considering. I'm sure that in the back of their mind they're kind thinking about seeding, but I don't think that they're exactly, you know, going in thinking, oh yeah, we need to get the one seed or we need, you know, we're fine coasting at the two. <laughs> right. I was waiting for you to be like, oh, should we throw this game? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. I don't think they're throwing any baseball games, <laughs> like you said, but we beat the San Francisco Giants who entering the series were the best team in baseball record wise, at least in the National League. And we did it without Eduardo Escobar, who's a, a big part of this, this lineup. So it is crazy to think what this team could do. You know, 
maybe you just go out and try and win as many games as you can and just don't even worry about the seeding with how good this team is, is another possibility to think about as well. But like I said, as fans, we're always like, yep, give me whoever's in the NL East because on paper, that is a lot better matchup. But in playoff baseball, anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, we have a month left. I mean, most teams have about 28 games left. I mean, there's a lot happening. I mean, I'm looking at the wildcard standards right now. Padres half game out, Phillies two, Cardinals two and a half. Heck, the Mets could go on a run. I kind of they're five and a half out. Like the thumbs this down. Was, oh my god! <laughs> <sighs> no organization has just had a worse week than the New York Mets, and most of it self inflicted. <laughs> yeah, I cannot believe Javi. I shouldn't say I can't believe it. I can believe what Javi Baez is doing because he's. He's just that type of a character. <laughs> yeah, oh, I feel like, like not to. I mean, I feel like there's kind of a broader discussion about different personalities in the game, but I feel like his style of play and kind of just the way he carries himself is much more conduct conducive to a team that's doing well as opposed to a team that's scuffling as the Mets are, especially. But yeah, so but the wild card is wide open. I mean, it's not. I mean, essentially, it's either going to be the Dodgers or the Giants, but the second spot could get interesting and you know one car one game yeah the giants have like 50 aces but all it takes <laughs> is one um one botch play in right field oh my aces God. loaded <laughs> and uh, yeah okay fair enough way to bring it up <laughs> <laughs> yeah brewers should just keep on winning games i think that's our our side table talk there yeah so if you if you had like a prediction for the rest of the Brewers season, are you gonna say that they surpass ninety six wins or they do not surpass ninety six wins? Because that is the the franchise record. I mean, I feel like they are gonna be close. What is you know what? I'm gonna go on the record. They're gonna top it. I don't top know it. if they crack a hundred, but I'm feeling like you know ninety seven, ninety eight win total definitely achievable, which is. Crazy, I feel like the over/under on Brewer wins to start the year, like most books, like sports books, had them at like I think eighty-three, maybe. <laughs> or that Twitter guy, whoever it is, Brewers seventy-eight, eighty-four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nope, not gonna happen. <laughs> I think they're gonna get over ninety-six as well. I mean, we did it in two thousand eleven and then twenty eighteen, but it took an extra game to do it, so. I think this team definitely has something special in them. I mean, they're one road win shy of tying their franchise record, and we don't go on the road now till September 10th. We'll have 12 chances to surpass that total throughout this final month here, so I feel pretty confident they're going to beat that. A couple other miscellaneous records. <clears throat> How about Team ERA? So at least entering today, our Team ERA was 3.34, and the team record is 3.38. You think we're going to break that record? Let's see. The Cardinals have their weird double magic Phillies. They got Bam Bam. It's going to be close, but I think they will. You know, there's a large enough sample size where, like, or I guess more enough innings pitch where if you're not getting blown up every couple games, you're not going to see a significant increase. So I think, I think they will. I go back and forth because... 
like one bad start or you know one 15 run game is just gonna totally screw you uh, but at the same time we have such a deep staff like you said we that really shouldn't happen very often so i think that one's gonna be close i'm gonna lean towards no for now just because huh, it seems tough and, and pretty yeah. crazy what about i got two more i think these ones are pretty i think they're gonna do both of them so i'll see if you agree with me we can set a team record in strikeouts as a staff. All we need to do is average 5.4 Ks uh, throughout the remaining 27 games. And then we can also set a team record for the fewest hits allowed. We need Teams would need to hit or average 11 hits or more for us not to break that record. So I feel like we can break both of those. I don't have the exact number, but I feel like the Brewers are averaging like 5.4 strikeouts through like the first five innings, the way Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta pitch. And I think also with the team batting, like the hits allowed, I think they're both going to, Brewers are going to set records on both of those also. That would be cool. And hopefully we'll get a Cy Young out of it. That would be nice. <laughs> I don't know. I think the push is Bueller's the front runner, which I don't understand. I mean, he has a flashy ERA, but pretty much every other thing Burns is better at, including all the rate stats. I mean, if you look at the all-encompassing war, which I know people are a little... There's kind of different trains of thought on how to use war when evaluating player voting, but I I don't understand how Bueller is the favorite. I don't know if, like, because he has tight pants? Like, is that why? <laughs> <laughs> Walker Bueller was the guy who pitched with the blister last postseason, wasn't he? Yeah, right. That was Walker. <clears throat> shoot, I don't remember who, but I know one of the opponents in a postgame interview got asked about his tight pants. Mm. God, yeah, that was earlier this year. Oh, it was I, I thought it was the last postseason. Oh, maybe that's what it was. I knew I, it was a while ago. I don't know, but like it was a uh, yeah, that was a. Uh, peak uh, sports journalism moment. <laughs> yep, won't find us writing about that, that's for sure. <laughs> but I do think, yeah, I think out of the Brewers pitchers, Burns, I think, stands the best chance because, mm-hmm. I mean, you compile the performances he's put together this year, obviously the strikeouts before allowing a walk to begin the year and then the 15 strikeout game, um, 10 straight in a row, I mean... All those things draw national attention, and I think those are going to help uh, get them a couple more votes as compared to Brandon Woodruff, who still, despite that, has like been equally as good. Yeah, I mean, and I think also the thing going with Burns is, yeah, I mean, his rate stats are great, but those because he's been compiling so many strikeouts, so many like so few walks, he's given up five home runs in I think 150 or so innings, which he gave, gave up 19 and 40. Nine in 2019, like his transformation has been incredible. But he's also doing this on like 30 less innings than most of the other front runners because he missed a couple starts as a result of his time on the COVID IL. So I think that I know that again, the voters tend to kind of view some like the innings pitched, the sample size differently. But I feel like that is another kind of feather in the cap of Burns for the Cy Young. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly, I think, what's going to prevent Peralta from, you know, getting a surplus of votes this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got, he's averaging 4.7 hits per nine right now, which I know at one point he was leading the MLB in that category among starters, which I don't think he has enough to qualify for that anymore. But he was, uh, you know, excelled at not giving up base hits this year, <laughs> along with striking everybody out. Um, 
So it's unfortunate yeah. that his last dial stint's going to kind of put him back in that regard. Yeah, um, he right now is at 121 innings. Um, so he needs to fill out 40 innings this month in order to qualify, which, you know, I don't see that happening, unfortunately, which is going to suck because that means I don't know if he still has the current record. I know for a while he was outpacing Nolan Ryan for lowest opponent batting average. And I think that'd be a, I mean, that'd be awesome to have in the record book, but I don't see the Brewers pushing Freddie Peralta at that. I mean, figure, I don't see them pushing him to get to qualify for a tight, like to become a qualified pitcher figure. Let's say he has five outings left. He'll probably get 30 innings, fall about 10 innings short, but yeah, I'm, I'm on the same track with you. 150 is his batting average against this year. So I, I don't know what Nolan, Nolan Ryan's record is. But, in the 170s. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, there's a good chance. I'm going to count it in my books anyway oh, yeah. if he does it. <laughs> like in, my, in the Josh Waldock record book, Freddie's throwing a couple, like, shut, complete game, no-hit shut pieces. Like, <laughs> just a bunch of asterisks afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot with Corbin Burns. Do you know how many innings he needs to throw this month to qualify? Because obviously he fell one out short last year. He wouldn't have won the ERA title, um, but it, it, you know, it would have been cool because we haven't had anybody win the ERA title in the franchise ever. So it could. I don't think no one's going to surpass uh, Walker Bueller this year, but at least to be qualified for it I think would be nice. Yeah, um, he is at 139 right now, so he needs 23, 23 more innings. So let's figure he gets five more starts at six innings. I think he'll he'll get it. And you know the Brewers do play the Dodgers close out the season. Be kind of cool if uh, Walker Buehler started and they just lit him up, and you know he happened to uh, accidentally. You know, his ERA happened to accidentally rise above, uh, above Burns's, But I do think Burns is going to set the franchise record. I believe the franchise record is Mike Caldwell is 238. So I think he and Woodruff are both going to sink below that. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. And have two pitchers do it in the same year is, is quite incredible by far. Um, I guess otherwise in Brewers news, did you see that uh, old friend Keon Broxton came back on a minor league deal? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if he's going to see any. Actually, I kind of doubt he'll see any time on the 40-man or the bigs this season. Um, I wish we'd go back to, you know, let's raise the number a little bit so we can get, like, the designated pinch runners because I'd love to see Broxton come in just, like, the seventh inning (laughs) and just see him run because he is a – He's a, I mean, great base runner, great great defender. Obviously, we have JBJ and Kane in the outfield, but I think he'd be a fun guy to have for the final couple weeks. Do <laughs> you imagine if MLB brought in, like you said, the designated runner for the catcher or the pitcher like you can do in high school and <laughs> Little League and all that? <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, it'd be a blast. I think, I mean, Quinton Berry was essentially the designated runner I think in 2017, he's now the first base coach for the Brewers, but I think he would, like, some guy would get a single, and he'd come on, and, you know, next half inning, he's done. He, he did his work for the day. <laughs> Tough job to have, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, Keon Broxton, minor league deal. And then, you know, it kind of follows like the same pattern. Like a couple weeks ago, we signed David Dahl, outfielder. And then uh, prior to or after that, we signed, is it Renato Nunez, an infielder? Mm-hmm. Um, Brewers, I think, really are just kind of like covering their bases at that point with these signings. Because like you said, I don't expect to see any of them this year. But should a big, you know, COVID outbreak go out or something that like just decimates your team, at least you have some veterans to turn to <laughs> and not rely on, you know, some of like your prospects who have never played in the major leagues at all. So I think this is Brewers just kind of taking like a, a really low risk, oh shit, uh, you know, covering their bases type of thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can never have too much depth. And I think that's exactly what these are, like you said, just, you know, depth pieces, kind of a, break in case of emergency kind of stash. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because they still get to play, and obviously they're all in AAA Nashville right now, and normally if the minor league season had started when it was supposed to, like they would be wrapping up their seasons right now, but now they play through most of September, or maybe even all of September, uh, which is different than years previous. So at least they'll stay fresh and keep getting at bats, and like I said, if we need them, then they are there. So... Definitely good organizational depth there to have, and you know, hopefully, it doesn't come into play. So, yeah, but I mean, we saw. Remember when we had more catchers on the forty man than we had <laughs> outfielders, and we ended up using pretty much every single catcher we <laughs> this season. Yeah, with with Pinel, what's Eric Kratz up to these days? I'm sure he could come <laughs> back. <laughs> I think he's just dropping bombs on podcasts, like saying, pointing out which teams are were cheating. <laughs> okay, let's uh let's not invite Eric Kratz to the podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it'd be fun. I want to. I want to hear about what other teams had massage guns on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord! All right, Eric Kratz, super or will be friend of the podcast coming up. We'll get him <laughs> on here. <laughs> All right, well, I think that'll do it for us here today. Obviously, uh, a really fun recap when you're coming off, taking three out of four against the Giants. Uh, hopefully, we can do the same come, you know, with our recap podcast that we'll do on Sunday nights uh, after the Cardinals series. And hopefully, we stick it to them just like we did last time. But, you know, until then, we'll talk to you later. Have a good one.